With Father's Day right around the corner, what do you give to the man who has everything? Easy. You give him an experience he'll never forget. You give him Omaha Steaks because a world-class dad deserves a world-class steak. The Father's Day experts at Omaha Steaks have made it easy to put a smile on the big guy's face this summer with hand-selected gift packages starting at just $89. Just go to omahasteaks.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout for an additional discount when you shop gourmet gift packages for Father's Day. With Omaha Steaks, the possibilities are endless. Endless flavor, endless variety, and endless value. Truly, they have perfected more than just steak. Your dad is guaranteed to love every bite. Go to omahasteaks.com, use the promo code BLUEWIRE to get an exclusive savings. Shop for unforgettable gifts that are guaranteed to make dad's day. Because if there's one thing that Omaha Steaks knows, it's the dads want steak. That's omahasteaks.com, promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to save on exclusive packages starting at just $89. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Benched with Bubba. Today we have episode 34, and uh, we are going to recap the Masters, the awesome Sunday at Augusta, a great tournament overall, and really take a deep dive into the PGA DFS world that uh, it's gotten crowded now with FanDuel and Weekend Golf and all kinds of fun stuff. So we're going to bring our expert at it, uh, Jesse. You can find him on Twitter at DFSGolfGods and TheSportsDGens.com. Jesse, how are we doing tonight? Doing well, man. Good to be here. Thanks for uh, having me on again yep. and uh, ready to talk about some of this stuff. Yeah, no, thanks for joining me. Um, you're one of the more knowledgeable guys on this subject. Plus, I love talking golf, so we're going to do a little bit of everything here, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, we were talking real briefly before this recorded that we, as fans, would have loved Sunday no matter what. But, yeah, yeah it was great watching all kinds of people just in, embrace what happened. Um, before we get into that, we left off last podcast. You were going with Sheridan to the practice round. How how was that going to Augusta? I know this is a dumb question, but how was that going to Augusta and checking it out? No, it's uh it's an experience a lot of time. Like I said uh, on the last pod, you know, if if you can ever um, if you ever get the chance to do it, definitely don't turn it down and make it a mission if you love golf to to go to Augusta because it's literally like no place on earth um, that you've ever been. I mean, from the time you walk in. Um, everybody is so polite and cordial. And then once you get on the actual grass, it does not appear to be, it looks like you're walking on AstroTurf or something um, the whole time. So it was, uh, it was a great, great experience. Once again, you know, we went in with a big, on the way down, obviously we had an eight hour ride down. So we're, you know, listing off all the guys we want to try to check out and try to see and whatnot. Had a big plan going in and uh, that just never seems to happen. Uh, like you want it to because the golf course is so spread out and it's so hilly. And um, so we ended up posting up a lot at, uh, at 16 um, after spending a couple grand in the, uh, in the old pro shop there. Um, and, and so we, we watched 16 quite a bit and the guys hitting balls, skipping them across the water. It's a really fun experience just to sit there and do that. And also you sit right behind 15. So you can see, you know, the guys hitting the 15. Um, so overall, you know, I would do it just about every year if I possibly could, but it, it wore me out too. I mean, by the time I got back on Wednesday, 
I think I spent about four more hours making lineups on Wednesday night and didn't get done until like about one o'clock in the morning. And it was, I did, it caught up to me today. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Um, you did a lot more of the traveling and everything. When I just go to Pebble, I have the weekly pass. I'll go, you know, three times, four times during the week, check it out. And there's one day I make it a point to walk as much of the course as I can and try to see everything like you're talking about. The rest of the time, I just post up on the couple spots I like. But those days you walk all over the place, it wears you down. People don't understand how spread out these courses are. They're like, it's impossible. Like you said, you guys made a list. I always, um, when they, for Pebble, you park in a parking lot about 20 minutes away and they shuttle you over. And mm-hmm. as they get you to shuttle, they hand you, okay, here's the tea times and everything for the day. So in that drive, whoever I'm with, they said, okay, we want to see this, this, this. It never works, ever. Right. <laughs> The other thing about Augusta, too, is the guys just kind of come there on, you know, Tuesday was the only good day. So Monday was was a washout. Wednesday ended up being a washout. And they kind of knew that on Tuesday. So there was a lot of people out there. And it was it was pretty crowded as far as the people that were there and then also the guys trying to get on the golf course. But um, they just kind of come, I think, as they want. And then they'll they'll post tee times uh, or, or who's on the course and when they kind of went out, if they went off of one of ten. But. Um, you know, if you want to follow, especially like the big guys, you know, Mickelson and that and Mickelson was playing with Rom and he had a big, big following around him. Um, and if you're anything like me, like I don't like to fight crowds that much. So we spent a lot of time following Hadwin, um, saw quite a bit of him. And then we, we caught up to, uh, the group that Fleetwood was playing in. And I'll talk a little bit more how that, that, uh, kind of messed me up later, but, um, you know, so there's some of the smaller guys, it's fun to just, you know, overall watch golf, but you can't beat it one way or the other, no matter who you're watching. Um, but it's cool to go out there and see like how these guys practice. Um, Cause that's what they were doing. You know, they would mostly just hit, you know, one tee shot, one approach, and then they would go around the greens and chip and putt for, and then move on to the next hole, but they were mostly spent, you know, spent their time chipping and putting. Yeah, you basically have the same philosophy I do when I go to practice rounds. I'm not going there to fight the crowds. I'll fight the crowd on Sunday if I have to, but not not during the practice rounds. I want to go watch these guys practice because you're a really good golfer. I'm trying to be a better golfer. So I love it. Like you said, some guys will take more than one shot off the tee, but usually one tee, one approach, and then they get their book out of the four tee placements, and their guy he will put tees on the green as caddy, and they'll sit there and chip and putt forever from all the different angles trying to figure out where it's going to run to. Like Kutcher's hole in one yesterday. They all know exactly how that thing slopes. And it's be- partly because of practice rounds, partly because they played it so much. But that's what they gain. And I love watching them practice. So a lot yeah, of the same. Yeah. It's really awesome. And then uh, you mentioned how, how green it was. It's funny you said that. I was watching it. I've watched it a lot over the week. But – at our golf course here, we had a master's tournament where everybody plays with your handicap, and then you draw one of the final guys. Uh, final, There's 31 of us. There's 31 guys out of a hat, and whatever their score is combined with your score, that's your tournament score. So we were sitting there watching it after we finished. Sergio and Rose, I think, were on eight by the time we finished. And we were all just like, it's so – it's almost like neon green. It's- <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Like, they – you know, they've genetically modified their own grass there. Um, so it's pre- I'm pretty sure that's the only place in the world where they grow this grass. But when you step on it, and, and they, you know, it was really, really wet too. Um, but when you step on it, it does not look like or feel like any other grass you've ever been on. And then when you look at the actual 
because you can get semi close to some of the greens. When you look at the actual greens, it's just it's just amazing. It's just it's hard to explain without seeing it yourself. And then one last thing before we move on, you mentioned uh, the crowds of people for the practice round. I know you were watching it yesterday. I haven't seen crowds like that since like the Ryder Cup. You usually don't see them that like there were 40, 50 deep in certain yeah. spots. It was, it was insane. Um, you might know the answer. I didn't look it up. I probably could Google it. How many people come in there on a Sunday? Um, I, I don't. I don't know that. Uh, but they you know they limit tickets. It's it's limited yeah. tickets, and they're harder than heck to come by. I mean, um, I know uh, my buddy Sheridan was offered for his practice round tickets that are face value of sixty five dollars. He was offered fifteen hundred dollars a practice round. But the problem with doing that is if if you're getting those tickets, they can end up in somebody. Let's say that somebody gets caught doing something illegal or gets kicked out, they can ban you for life from getting tickets ever again. So it's just, it's not a good idea around there. You know, it's the, it's like, they're so strict on everything. Um, but you know, it's one of the things that makes it so cool. You can't take your cell phone in there. I was listening to, uh, the, uh, the chairman, uh, his press conference and somebody said, well, you know, do you think that'll ever change? And he said, that'll never change with me. And I think that's a pretty cool experience too. Cause you're in there and you're literally just in the experience. You know, you're not worried about, you know, tweeting out, you know, what this guy just did on this hole or answering this text message or this email. It's just completely different world. And they do have, they do actually do have phones in there, which is weird that you can just call out on for free, but no cell phones. So that's, that's one of the cool things about it as well. Yeah. Did you see the picture of the guy behind Sergio when he missed the put on 18 had his phone out? I no, I didn't. Yeah, it's all over Twitter. I'd love to know how he smuggled it in. There's one guy with his arms up like, Sergio, how'd you miss the putt? And there's another guy with like a master's bucket hat and a master's polo with his phone out videoing the whole thing from like – Oh, God. Away. I bet. Oh, if they found out about that. I mean, they will – seriously, if they see you have a phone, they will jerk you out of there. I mean, it's they, they don't play around. They don't have an go look, at, go look at Barstool Sports. I know all their accounts were tweeting it yesterday and some other ones were retweeting stuff. It's all over Twitter. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Because you know, they, they metal detect you. You go in there, like, into your pockets, put it in here. It's like going, you know, through airport security. And uh, so I don't know how somebody would get that through, but. That's crazy. Yes, he did. <laughs> all right. Let's get to the main round. Um, obviously, a full-round tournament. The night before it starts, we get the news that Dustin Johnson's back's hurt, which is just ridiculous. We don't even know the real story there yet. We have to believe what we know. With yeah. him, a million things. I hope it's the truth. I really do. Um, but it was an absolute shame because this guy literally, I know he's the number one ranked golfer in the world, but no one was playing better golf than him. If he was ever going to win a Masters, this might have been easiest isn't the right word. It's never easy, but this might have yeah. been his best bet to win the Masters. And I'm really bummed. I wanted to see him play so bad. I know many people did. Um, overall, though, Obviously, the ending was great. How did you like the tournament? Were you surprised by anything, or what do you got on the tournament? Um, no, I think overall it was just really, really great to watch, you know, four four straight days of golf. I mean, basically from the time I got up Thursday um, until the very last shot, obviously, on Sunday, I was watching golf um, while it was on. And that's one of the other cool things about the Masters is you can watch – a lot of golf um, during the week, you know, obviously we get to watch if you have PJ two or live, you get to watch a lot of golf, but you're normally watching, you know, maybe not, you're never watching it at Augusta national, first of all. And the other thing is you might be watching, you know, JJ Henry or, 
you know, some, some other, uh, you know, no name guy um, in one of those feature groups. And, and here you, you get, you may not get the very best feature group, um, but one way or the other, you can switch it over to Amen Corner and you can watch Amen Corner. Um, you can switch it over to 15 and 16, just watch 15 and 60 once the guys gets there. So um, I was uh, really, really excited to watch that much golf all week. Um, and then, you know, with some of the surprises for me as far as um, by the time the leaderboard was over and done with, you know, I, Sergio doesn't surprise me. Um, Rose didn't surprise me. I really expected those guys to be there and actually wrote up, you know, Sergio and Rose in the article that I did for the, for the picks this week. And one of the things I said about Sergio was as if his putter is working, he could very well be in one of the final groups. And he had one three putt all week, um, which is obviously key there to be able to putt. But, you know, the rest of the guys in the top five there, um, Charles made a good run on, uh, on Sunday. Um, uh, Thomas Peters, he played, re- he played really, really well for four days. Um, all things considered, he did have a 75 on Sunday or Saturday going in. He had the lead, uh, or was right there in the second going into to the Saturday round and faltered a little bit, which is kind of to be expected. Um, and of course the, the Kuchar surge up the leaderboard there on Sunday with that ace, um, was pretty cool. So, you know, Peters, uh, I had him on the picks as well. It's kind of a boom or bust type of play and he ended up boom. And I had quite a bit of him. Uh, in uh, on DraftKings and and, and FanDuel um, for that reason, because I just kind of knew that he could potentially play this course very well, and he ended up being a pretty good pick. Yeah, I was all over Peters. I've, I've played him pretty much any tournament he's played in. I usually have pretty decent exposure with him. Uh, I just like the way he plays, young kid. Uh, Sergio, we were all talking about it on the last pod, and we all – it's been said for a while because his putting has just gotten worse and worse of late. So that was the big thing is if he can putt, he's going to be fine because he's one of the best ball strikers, which we'll get into that stuff. There's one of the best ball strikers in all of golf. Like there's no way around that. Um, all the other stuff he does very well. It looked like, it looks like when he hit the back nine, all of a sudden you're like, Oh no, here comes the implosion yet again. He's in the, he's in the trees over here. He's in the trees <laughs> over here. It was like every hole it was like three or four holes in a row. He found a way to get into the shit and then get out of it. It was, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I thought, I thought for sure on 13 when he, I guess apparently he had done this all three days, try to hit a big uh, fade, which, you know, Kevin had talked about how you, you really have to hit the ball right to left. And especially on that hole, it's a dog leg left. So, but he hits a big fade over top of the trees and apparently he caught the tree, came down unplayable lot. And I was like, well, this is it. You know, this is the time when the typical quote unquote Sergio, collapse starts and he made a par and uh and then rose missed that short birdie putt there and basically opened the door for him but from then on i mean the ball striking came into play because on 15 he stripes it down the middle he's got like 170 yards in or something like that and then hits the pin on his next shot when he hit that shot i thought maybe it hit the hole because uh, it kicked left out for no apparent reason, but when the, on, upon the replay, it, it hit the pin, and then he makes the the eagle putt, and boom, we got a we got a awesome golf tournament, you know, down to the last three holes here, um, and then his ball striking did take over. I mean, he hit two great wedge shots on eighteen, uh, once in regulation and once in the playoff, um, to basically seal it. So that's it. Yeah, I mean he. You know, that putt, that the original putt on 18, I was, I thought once again, man, he has done it. Cause I don't know how he missed that putt. If you look at the replay 
on that. He either started it left or he put or started it right or he pushed it. And I, I still don't know, but it was either a bad read or I, I'm really I I kind of think it was more of a push, but I just don't see how you see that putt going left. But one way or the other, he totally redeemed himself. You know, the the, the sad part is for Sergio, because like you said, we were all expecting the implosion. And then he misses that putt, which if he's putting well, which he did, and most really good putters, they're making that putt nine times out of ten probably. Like they, that really – it was, wasn't easy by any means, but for those guys, that was one of the easier putts he was going to have during the day, as I'm trying to right. say. Yeah. So that when he misses that putt and they have the break to go back to the 18th tee, the thoughts that had to be going through his head like, oh, shit, oh, shit. I <laughs> swear to God, I'm thinking, okay, he's snap hooking something or something's coming up where this is going to be horrible. And he hit one of the best pure drives probably of his, of his round or his rounds, period. It was just dead down the middle, and then Rose hits his shot, and Sergio has to be going, oh, I, okay, here we go. But um, I, can't, I can't remember the numbers. Uh, Kenny, Kenny Kim from the Fantasy Degenerates podcast, he tweeted out on, like, his approach shots from, like, 100 to 120 out. He only had, like, a couple that were farther than 15 feet from the pin. Yeah. He was that lights out. He was striping it. Now the, I mean, so he misses that putt on 18. They go to the playoff. Rose actually hit first, and Rose blocked his way right and somehow ended up in a semi-okay spot. But, you know, anytime that you've got a competitor who steps up and, and hits it, like you watch somebody hit it way right, the thing that you're probably thinking immediately is, oh, God, don't hit it right. So then what do you typically do? You pull it. But he's such a good ball striker that he just – you know, obviously, he's 37 years old at this point. He's mentally um, come a long ways from his, you know, early days when he was blowing a lot of leads and was just able to step up and just, yeah, strike one right down the middle. I mean, pure as day and then get up there and hit another one to 10 foot or however far away he was. And then I'm pretty sure that the golf gods pushed that putt in. <laughs> I swore it wasn't going to go in. It looked like it was going left again, but he could two putt, thank God. But then all of a sudden, it just takes this weird little turn right and drops right in. I didn't think there's any way that putt was going in. It, it just dropped Hell, even if it was me, I knew I could two putt. I'm not trying to be aggressive. I'm just putting it yeah. close and tapping. I'm, like I'm pretty sure what he was doing too. He was playing more bright than what he thought was there just to get it down there. That's, that's the other thing that was going through my mind. Like, he just missed that short putt. Please don't three putt this, Sergio. Because you'll never hear the end of it. And the one thing about Sergio is I've never I've never been an anti-Sergio person. I'm obviously all about the Americans when it comes to Ryder Cup. Um, I'm never really an anti-anti-anybody necessarily. But I thought that the way that he got treated at the Players' Championship a couple years ago was absolutely ridiculous. And so, and I know a lot of people don't like Sergio for whatever reason. I mean, he's never done anything, in my opinion, that's like bad. He's always just kind of just blown leads. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's golf, you know? And so I was really happy to see him finally pull one out there. Yeah. And that's the good thing is like, I, I agree. I don't know where all the hatred and animosity is coming from with Sergio. He like never hurts a fly. He's always smiling, having a good time. Like when yeah. they both make great shots, he's high five and rose in like, right. the, like the most important moment of his life. And he's just like having fun. He's just a dude <laughs> playing golf. It's yeah. like, I, I've never understood it, but some people just take that whole U.S. versus the world thing way too far. But um, so he's finally got this his green jacket. He finally has a major. 
do you think this can finally be like the monkeys off the back? He's going to make a little run or is he still going to be Sergio and just, cause that putting is before this week and that putting has been rather disastrous of late. Yeah. Yeah. I no, I think it's a, I think it's one of those kind of mental hurdles like a, you know, DJ got over last year at the U S open kind of thing. And um, I will be in the next few majors here, you know, U S open, it's going to be long. It's going to be something that, you know, where he's going to be in play again. And of course, British Open, I think, is going to be something else where he's going to be in play. And then PGA, he'll be there. So, I mean, he's going to be one of those type of guys who's going to be looked at pretty pretty hard. And um, I expect him to, I expect him to be in contention quite a bit for the rest of this year. Yeah. Now, we talked about some surprising performances already. What were some of the more like, disappointing? I know you wanted to get into one guy you already talked about. What were some of the disappointing aspects of the weekend? Well, you know, so I, I was on basically pretty heavily Fleetwood. So when, when we were down there, watched Fleetwood for a couple of holes, and he staked so many shots. Um, I mean, on 11, which was the which was the hole that we talked about in the podcast, being playing a par four and a half, he's probably 200 out, and he hits it to 15 – or to about five foot between the water and the hole. Um and and then I watched watched him a few more holes, and he was just just throwing thing everything in there as tight as possible. So I was super heavy on him, and I was super heavy on Hatton. And I don't really know what exactly where exactly they went wrong, um, but one way or the other, those were my two pre-cut disappointments. Um, and and I was you know heavily staked on those guys. And then man, it was it, it, thank God we didn't have to watch a whole heck of a lot of it. But Sunday when Spieth and and Ricky. Um, just fell back. You know that was super disappointing as well. Yeah, that 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 matchup everybody was hoping because they're only what two shots off, three shots off going into the day. No chance. Yeah, they had a chance and it just never happened. He Spieth finds the water on twelve again. The picture of his face when he already knows what's happening. He still has his club in his backswing and just his eyes are closed. Like oh shit! <laughs> like I already know what I did wrong. Um, <laughs> It's like flashbacks, flashbacks all over again. You know, he also took a quad on 15, I think, on Thursday. Thursday, and oh. he still finished, uh, what, three over or something? Uh, yeah, for the tournament, he was uh, he was one under. Um, but, but, I mean, you know, that, day, the, that, round. that day, yeah, he was like three under. But, you know, if he doesn't do that, just say he pars that hole, then he's leading going into Sunday. Mm-hmm. Probably don't play with Ricky, obviously, but Ricky played awful too. I mean, neither one of them could do anything around the greens. From what I was, from what I heard, they didn't show a lot of golf of them after the first couple holes when they just backed up. But that was pretty disappointing to watch those two. I had a pretty big stake in Spieth, and when he faded on um, on Sunday, it kind of dwindled my hopes of winning any anything yeah. big. Now. Um... I didn't put this on the deal. We can talk about it real quick. For the, the millionaire maker, the guy that won the millions, his roster, surprisingly, because usually you think you have to have a lot of low ownership, but it always comes down. You need the guys like in the top 10, let alone top five. Um, so he had Rose and Sergio. He had Peters, I think, and a couple other guys. But Peters was the only guy below 10% owned. He was 5%. The rest, I think, were 15 to 20 plus. Um, does any of that surprise you? Maybe change a game plan going into the Open? Um, not, I mean, not really for me, you know, I'm going to be, if I like a guy, you know, a whole lot, I'm not going to worry about a whole lot of, like, you know, with, with the percentages on the Millie, it's such a, you know, in my opinion, you're better off 
going and getting the lottery ticket because you probably got a better chance um, or just about as good of a chance um, as winning it there. But, yeah, looking at his lineup, I didn't pay a whole heck of a lot of attention to it. Um, but typically, you know, it's you just got to have one or two low-owned guys. And Kuchar was definitely one of those low-owned guys. And obviously the hole-in-one, um, which doesn't happen very often, boosted him quite a bit. And Peters just played such solid golf. I'm surprised that Peters was so low-owned. So was uh, I. I think he'd be more popular than that, especially at his price. I think he was around 70. Let's see. He was 77. It's not a bad price um, for a guy who can score like he can. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, it's pretty much four popular guys and then and then Kuchar and, and Peters. You know, it's it's just – it's there's so few of these, it's hard to say, you know, that that's surprising or that's an outlier or that's not. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. Um, I did want to hit your thing on Hatton there. Hatton was one of the guys that – Killed me. I had, I think I, I think I had twenty lineups, and I had like nine with six of six, and then I had another nine or ten with five of six, and those all had Hatton on them. Yeah. It could have been, a, it could have been a really big weekend, but then that happened. He was on my cash team. I mean, I, I was all, I was all in on him and Fleetwood, and so from the time that they missed, I was basically sunk. Um, but yeah, so that, I don't know what happened to him. I expect him to play better, but he was basically the chalkiest person who missed. The cut, it was like 26% owned, you know, on average. And I think, you know, close to 40% of people got six to six through. So if you, if you didn't have six, you were done, which we, yeah. we talked about that on the pod before you've, you've got to get six through or else you have no chance. And that's what happened. Yeah. No, in cash games, especially the old days, like we've said many times, you used to be able to get four or six in cash. Now it's not even, you have zero, zero prayer. Oh, no, but, no. you have no chance. Six this week. That, but that can lead into something later we talk about that can reinvent your weekend. Um, <laughs> last but not least, first, if, if people haven't seen the Kuchar hole-in-one, watch the shot and then watch the celebration. He's, <laughs> he takes the guy's hat and throws it in the air. He's high-fiving everybody under the sun. And then he That's signs cool. the ball and gives it to that kid who's now a Kuchar fan for life. Right. It was amazing. Amazing. No, that, that, was, that was really fun to watch, that, just to see his reaction, because he, he was high-fiving people and – yeah, when he gave that ball to that kid, I thought that was super cool. But of course, you know, he's old man, dad, uh, dad yeah. Coop. So you know, it's I wouldn't expect anything but anything class from him, something like that. You know, it just makes a hundred percent of you know sense. Yeah, that was awesome. Okay, before we move on, uh, what was your biggest takeaway from the Masters? Maybe Sergio, probably, but anything else that really any big takeaways leaving the weekend? Um. You know, besides Sergio, you know, Justin Rose is obviously is going to be a contender, I think, uh, going going forward. Um, Paul Casey, he he put on a striped show on, on Sunday, looked look very good. I don't know what's wrong with Rory. I'm going to have to go back and look at kind of some of the stats that went into his seventh place finish, um, 72, 73, 71, 69, where it was his score to finish three under. Um, not sure if he couldn't putt or what, but – um, Adam Scott definitely still cannot putt. No, <laughs> he has not adjusted from his six foot putter to a normal putter. He has not figured it out. Can't putt. Okay, the next major we have, like you mentioned, the U.S. Open coming up at Aaron Hills in Wisconsin. It's calling for over eight thousand yards. It's going to be monstrous. Hopefully, DJ's healthy because he could have some fun here. I think Peters lines up good as another play there. All these bombers. Um, 
any early hindsight there? I know we'll, we'll record a big pot for that too, but any, any early thoughts on the next, next major? Um, just, just, D, I think it's DJs once again. I mean, obviously depending on what happens with the back deal, I don't know if it was just a bruise or whatever the situation was, but uh, I, I'll be looking at DJ and I, I think, you know, somebody like Sergio again can compete there because um, it's long. Sergio hits it long, but it's, it's going to be a long knockers course from what I've heard as well. Um, with with high rough like usual, and it's just going to be your typical grinded out U.S. Open. So it'll be fun to fun to see. We only have to wait two more months or however long for that one, though. Yeah, it's not too long. Thank goodness. All right, let's get into some serious PGA talk, DFS talk. We we usually hit on a lot of it, but let's we're going to kind of a deeper dive into it instead of just kind of the surface here uh, first. How did you? You basically said your master didn't go well because of Fleetwood and Hatton. Were you uh, able to salvage anything else from that? No, no, no. It was uh, it was a complete disaster. It was a train wreck. Um, and I, I know a lot of the guys in the Junkies League were giving me some shit about Fleetwood, um, which was deserved because uh, I was high on him. I really was. I I, I think I locked him in, whenever I was making my lineups. I had a hundred percent him um, in the in the three dollar twenty entry max or whatever. And and then I had a bunch of hat. Like I said, I had hat on my cash team. Uh, pretty much doomed me. Um, finished bottom thirty percent of the junkies league. I mean, it was just overall about as big of a train wreck as ever, as I've had of a week um, since I've started playing golf. Uh, you know, every week it was the worst week probably I've ever had. Bad. Yeah, those happen. Um, Nothing too. <laughs> Sucks. They do. I, I I play baseball every day, and you know you can hit the big one, and then it could be weeks before you feel it again. I know yeah. uh, some guys that are really good at NASCAR just got destroyed this weekend, like crushed. Um, oh yeah, so it's just it, it's it's the way of the world. That's why it's it's not gambling. <laughs> but it's, gambling. it's just it's how it works. You just got to come out on top more often than not. Well, and, normally normally I would have had a pretty good hedge going in with some MMA on Saturday night, but I was busy doing something else and I ended up going to this function and I won a bunch of money at this function. So it eased the pain a little bit. There you go. That's good. Um, okay. We'll kick it off first with, so fandle has been on the market for about a month now doing PGA officially a little over a month, maybe give or take you, you've been playing a ton of it. I've been watching you guys. I actually got into it this weekend because the overlay was still just goofy. It, it still has not filled out quite yet, which is nuts. Um, for those that don't understand what overlay is for some reason, um, it's when they have a contest size that's a certain size and they can't fill it. So there's all this empty spots where those guys aren't getting paid anyways, so your chances of winning a lot better. That's the layman's way of explaining that. Um, so what is your takeaway? I know we talked about it last way, last week. What's your takeaway from the FanDuel PGA so far? Yeah, I mean, the more I play it, the more I just kind of see where um, luck – is is such a huge factor. And I'll talk about it a little bit more when we talk about weekend DK, but it's so I, I went back and I was looking at um I was in you know the three big tournaments. I was in the four hundred dollar entry, I was in the twenty five dollar entry, and I was in the four dollar one, which is the one that was way um under as far as the guarantee. You know, they guaranteed like a hundred and thirty seven thousand and it was like a hundred thousand or something by the time that it locked up. So it was way under. So just looking at like the teams, it's really, really strange how Sergio on every single on so in those three contests that the lineup that won had Sergio rounds one and two. 
Hmm. Which you wouldn't think that when he goes five under on the weekend. But so he's in there rounds one and two, and then Rose, obviously, you know, that that's way more obvious to me that he's going to be in there rounds um, three and four. But the person who won the $4 one, which is obviously the bigger contest, it's got 100,000 people in it or however many, um, you know, he's also got Mickelson, who shoots even par on uh, on Sunday, um, and Pat Perez with Kevin Chappell. Obviously, Perez pretty low owned. Kevin Chappell very low owned. Uh, but just it's just a, it's just a strange way, in my opinion, to win. I mean, it's not strange that he won. Obviously, he scored the most points, but just that that kind of lineup wins. You don't, it, I don't think that is going to happen. But almost every week, it's been a different type of lineup that's won. Um, so you know, it's it, it's so I don't know. I I just I I hope they change it because I always keep playing it, but. Uh, I'd like to see some other kind of format. Yeah, it's like we keep saying. We're going to keep playing it as long as the overlay is there because the money's there to be made. But um, we mentioned it last podcast. We talked about it in our chats. It's basically like, okay, you kind of put some lower-owned guys early, put your more confident big names late for the weekend that your hope gets to the weekend. You go from there. But then I've looked at some other strategies I even did on my own. I kind of mixed it up. I do like two guys I would have put on the weekend in the first round. Like I had Fowler in some and whatever, and then two of those little guys hoping they'd make the cut. That's the only thing is you have to really cross your fingers. But um, I think that might be the way to go in GPPs. Cash might be to play it safe. GPPs might be better to mix it up a little bit, put some bigger names up front, and then have those really low-owned guys. Because at least in the first round, if they go off and they make the cut, then you get their finishing position also, and you get that added on your points. That's kind of what I picked up on, but I'm not even nowhere close to it. So it's kind of like playing two turbo slates. You know, you're you're MLB guy. You understand if you got two or three game turbo versus a, a nine game slate, um, yeah. you have to just about hit the perfect lineup. Now, obviously, you got a lot more golfers to choose from, I guess, um, than you would in like a two or three game turbo uh, in MLB or or NBA. But that's what I kind of equate it to because you have to hit. You have to get the guys who you know score the most, obviously, in rounds one and two, and then the guys who score the most in rounds three and four. Um, and somehow Sergio was on every single team that was that was high up, you know, and ended up winning a bunch of money on rounds one and two. So I don't know. Well, this weekend's tournament will be really interesting. A to see how many people get involved because it's such a small tournament, not a big name. Well, not as many big names, obviously, and. Uh, if they'll even come close to filling. Plus, I think those lineups are going to be goofier and heck this weekend with the, the players involved. But uh, they, they backed way down. So FanDuel backed way down on their contest sizes, and then DraftKings has the $100,000 three, uh, $3 entry. So $100,000 the first. So it's kind of a reversal. It's weird. Huh. All right, something new DraftKings introduced. They've been talking about it for a while. They kind of leaked out some stuff one weekend, but then the contest never showed up. Well, they brought it out, and I actually made some money on like, not a ton. I just made some money. But uh, weekend DraftKings golf. I've been saying forever since I've been playing, why don't you do that for people that missed the cut and want to keep playing on the weekend? It's so, such an easy way to keep making money, in my opinion, because us idiots are going to keep playing it. Um, what, uh, what strategy – because – it's basically the same scoring system minus the finishing spots, right? 
Yeah, well, it's 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 almost like half the score. Um, so instead of uh, I think I'm pretty sure it's instead of like a par being a point, it's a half point. Um, so it's like it's like half on everything. If you still get the all rounds under seventy bonus, but it's two and a half points, and you get a bogey for your round, but it's half what it normally is. So this is exactly. I mean, the best thing I can equate it to is a turbo slate. Um, yeah in uh, MLB or NBA. And so what I did, so going into it, I knew that people wouldn't realize that position points don't count. Why? Because I had to dig for it. I had to find it, you know, and we were going back and I was going back and forth to somebody on Twitter about it. And, and I kind of thought that he was right, that position points do count because when you look at it, it says if, unless you scroll all the way down to the bottom, they still had the normal scoring system up there which is incredibly strange. So I knew people wouldn't realize that. So I knew it was going to be very top heavy. Um, I completely faded Charlie Hoffman. I knew he was going to back up. Um, and then I, I kind of X'd out some of the older guys who were the kind of just the par makers and just try to get the guys who were going to go, um, go for broke, kind of come from behind type of deal. And, um, I ended up basically about breaking even. I put 150 in the, in the, uh, uh, Three, I think it was three dollars, um, hundred thousand at first or whatever. So I, I maxed it out. Basically, I think I maybe lost a couple bucks off of that, and that was it. Um, but it was you had to hit the perfect lineup because looking at the lineup that won, you had to have Kucher obviously because he had the hole in one, which isn't going to happen every week, but it happened this week. So you had to have him, and then Sergio was in there at forty eight percent. And then Paul Casey, who went very, very low on Sunday. So, you know, just once again, you got to get the guys. There's just no room for error kind of thing. And you know what I'm talking about. If you play MLB in a, on a short slate, there's zero room for error. Yep. It's almost like don't get cute and overthink it. Just get the guys you know that are going to be low scoring. Like, that, like you said, going for broke. Don't be cute and play it. You can't play it safe, basically. Right. That's going to get you nowhere. And, you know, if they have it going forward, and let's say, let's say this weekend they've got it, and somebody like, um, I don't know, I was off the top of my head, Bud Colley's in the lead after round two. I'm not going to play Bud again. You know, but if somebody like Kuchar is in the lead on, going into round three, I'm probably going to play a lot of Kuchar just because I know he can he can handle the pressure. Um, so it's going to be a, a week-to-week basis on looking at who's at the top of the leaderboard and who I'm not going to play and who I'm not going to f- fade and kind of thing. But the other thing, too, is – in the future, you're, you know, you're going to have at least top 70 and ties going into the weekend. This weekend, I think we had uh, like maybe around 50-something that made the cut. So we only had a 50-player pool to choose from. So in the future, it's going to be – it's, it's going to open up a little bit, um, and it's not going to be as turbo-y. And speaking of that smaller size and everything, how do you feel about the pricing? Because there's no one below 7,000 when we're on like the full weeks. So you have all the guys in the sixes and everything. How do you feel the pricing was? Yeah, I mean, it was okay. Um, you could pretty much do whatever you wanted to, which I guess that is their goal when they're trying to let everybody enjoy it. Um, I wish that they would wait until at least after Thursday's round before they came up with the pricing. Um, I think that that would maybe make it look a little bit better, at least on paper, um, bring up some of the guys who are in contention price-wise and then maybe knock some of the guys down who aren't. Um, but we'll see going forward because they said that they weren't going to bring it out till Friday morning. They brought it out Thursday morning, so 
They also said they weren't going to bring the prices out for this week until tomorrow, and they brought it out this afternoon. So I guess they'll just do whatever they want to. DraftKings being DraftKings. It's <laughs> pretty much what that's all about. Um, before we get into the stats, I have one more question. Um, when you're building your GPP lineups, uh, I've heard some different theories, tons of different theories. Everyone has a theory. One that I kind of look at, and I think it's got some validity to it, and I want to see your opinion, it doesn't just account for golf. It's for all of the sports, but golf especially, you can kind of see it more. Um, the like the 70% theory or 60% theory, like you want your ownership combined, added up to be less than a certain percentage. Do you follow anything like that, or have you heard of these theories? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've read all about it, um, and I think it's – it's, it's so hard to predict golf ownership um, because, you know, it, on Twitter, we live in kind of our Twitter bubble and it's hard to say what the public, uh, you know, John Q public who's playing one lineup is, is thinking going into it. He's not doing a whole heck of a lot of research except for he knows Kuchar and he knows Russell Henley and he knows Sergio Garcia. So it's so difficult to predict versus other sports um, that I don't pay a whole lot of attention when I'm making a lineup. You know, I might take a guy that I know nobody's going to be on and, and put it into a GPP, but it's not like, I'm, oh, well, that's that's over, you know, it's over 70% or over 60%, so I've got to take this guy out and put this other guy in because um, I'm just still trying to make the best possible lineup that I can possibly, you know, make based on everything that I, I look at week to week. Okay, that makes sense. Now let's get into um, what are some of your philosophies, like stats-wise, when you're building, because you have your own model, but what are some of the key things that, uh, say, the average guy playing PGA DFS or even a new person, when they hear all these terms getting thrown out have no idea what they are, can you break it down for us a little bit on what you're, you kind of target when you're looking at this? Sure. I mean, most everybody uses the, the new strokes gain. Um so what the PGA Tour did was they came up with a formula, formula that basically says um, if you do this, um, then you gain or you lose a stroke uh, based on that. So, for example, you know, if there's if it's a par four and we're looking at strokes gained, um, you know, tee to green, and, and the guy hits it in the fairway, he might gain a, a stroke or a half stroke there or, you know, two, you know a fourth of a stroke by hitting in the fairway. And if he hits it on the green, then he might gain another fourth of a stroke on that particular hole. So it's added up hole to hole to hole every week. So most everybody uses strokes gain tee to green um, because one of the most difficult and one of the most volatile things week to week is putting. Um, so if you know a guy is hitting the ball well from tee to green and giving himself opportunities to make birdie putts, um, then he obviously has a better chance to make birdie putts because if he's not, hitting the green, if he's not uh, hitting the fairway, then he's obviously less likely to, to make a good score on whatever particular hole. So that's what most people look at is tee to green. I pay a lot of, I pay a lot of attention to the individual stats um, and course history. Um, greens and regulation, I found just, just the greens and regulation stat, I have found to be a pretty good predictor of success. Um, I don't wait scrambling very often unless it's a, a, a course with smaller greens. Um, I don't wait putting very much because, like I said, it's so volatile. You know, a guy can get hot putting. Um, 
or you can just be cold putting and it skews the stats on that. Um, and these guys are so good that like the difference between the best putter in the world and the worst putter in the world on the PGA tour is very, very minute. If you know what I'm saying, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, so, but the, but the difference between the best driver in the world and the worst driver on the, in the world on the PGA tour is, is can, can be pretty big. And then obviously you got your ball strikers, you know, we were talking about this earlier with Sergio Garcia, best one of the best ball strikers in the world is big, his biggest problem has been his putter. Um, this, he finally gets that to turn around this week and you know, who predicts that? How can you predict that based on his stats previously? Um, but I'm looking at, I, I usually look at a lot and it like, for instance, this week, it's more of a kind of an accuracy type of course. So I'm going to wait accuracy more than I, than I would driving distance, but I'm usually looking at either accuracy distance off the tee and then greens and regulation. Um, and then a lot, a lot course history too. You know, I, I, I need to know if a guy has performed well here in the past. Um, but there's so many stats out there. If you get on PGA tour.com, I mean, you can get lost in those stats it's funny, you know, two years ago when, when, when I first started this, I was going through and pulling all the stats myself and, like, doing all this stuff by hand and just spending hours and hours and hours. And now I can literally just sit at my computer for five minutes and boom, you know, there it is. Exactly what I wanted. So golf golf has come a long way PG, and then DFS-wise. No, I love it. And you mentioned PGATour.com or PGA.com. Are there any other sites that you'd recommend to go check out this stuff? Like where do you get your course history and what's the easiest way for them to get their information? Uh, PJTour.com, just everything. Um, I start there every week. So typically what I'll do is I'll go to PJTour.com. Obviously I'm going to look at what kind of course we're playing this week. Um, and then I usually go back through the last couple of years of the leaderboard and just kind of look at different things. You know, is anybody there a bunch? Um, is, has anybody, you know, won uh, several times, that kind of thing. Um, and then I'll read, I mean, they have a lot of good stuff on there. Um, just the, their previews, um, I don't really get into the picks and that kind of thing, but they have some good articles on there that tells you, you know, about the history of the tournament and um, what happened last year and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I'll just, I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot of place where I start is just pjtour.com. And I usually don't, you know, look anywhere else um, other than other than that, to be honest with you. I mean, I'll read some articles uh, that, you know, some of the guys in the Twitter world post, but that's the best place, in my opinion, pjtour.com. Um, now, you do a lot of cash games and GPPs. Do you, without giving away all your secrets, do you kind of have – can you explain your different strategies coming from golf? Because, like, I have mine in baseball, I explain, but golf with the six-man lineup is a little different. Um how do you approach your cash versus GPP? Sure. Um, I mean, in reality, I don't think there is a massive difference between a GPP team and a, and a, uh, cash team. Um, but there, but there are some differences, obviously, you know, when, when I sit down to make a cash team, um, I'm looking for guys with really good course history and, um, who are playing really, really well right now. I mean, those are the two main things. Um, and so I'll usually just take, you know, the top three or four of my model. And sometimes I'll take the guys who are maybe a few notches down, a potential sleeper, but in, in cash, especially in golf, like there's really no reason to not play somebody because you think they're going to be popular. 
if, you know, if that makes any sense. So yeah. just because I think maybe, you know, this week Matt Kuchar is going to be the most highly owned. Well, chances are he's going to make the cut. So why would I fade him in a cash game? Um, I can definitely do that in the GPP and, and make sense. But, you know, if a guy's going to be popular, I don't, I throw ownership percentage out the window and I just don't worry about it. I'm just trying to get the best six that I can. Cause obviously you need everybody to make the cut in order to have the best chance to, to cash. When I'm looking at a GPP team, um, quite often, you know, I'll take some guys, I'll take some shots with guys below 7,000 um, that I think nobody else is going to be looking at, um, whether it be because they've played bad recently or because they um, don't have a you know great course history here. Um, you know, one of the most famous probably G- GPP DFS plays of all time was James Hahn last year at the Wells Fargo. He came off like, I think it was close to a million missed cuts in a row. And he was in contention all weekend. And that's the kind of thing you need more to win one of these big time GPPs. You know, the $3 this weekend, it's probably got a 200,000 people in it. You got to get lucky. And that's the bottom line to it as well. You know, with, with just like with anything else, you got to get lucky. You got to hit somebody who's, you know, 3% or less owned um, and just, just get lucky. So that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why I stick to with more higher dollar tournaments. Um, because I, I know going into a, a high dollar GPP, what a lot of the people who load up in those tournaments are thinking, because I've played with them for two years. Um, whereas in the lower dollar tournaments, I don't know what John Q public is thinking most of the time. Now, I'm glad you you said some uh, some things there you said, because I feel the same way in golf compared to, say, baseball. In, in baseball, a cash game and a GPP lineup can be completely different, like way different. Uh, you stacking in one, being safe in the other, a lot of things you can do differently. In golf, I I almost treat my lineups the same. Like they go in both because, like you said, if I think Kuchar is going to make the cut, I'm still going to play him in my GPP. Maybe not as heavy, but I'll still play him, and right. then I'll, just, I'll then I'll just mix it up elsewhere, like some sub six guys that you're saying that no one will be on that kind of stuff. Um, right. Whereas in baseball, it's like okay, I'm playing a GPP. Like tonight, Coors Field, for instance. Okay, well, you got to play Coors once in a while because more often than not, it goes off. But you're trying to fade Coors Field, hoping it doesn't hit. It's doing that, but you got to stack against it. You can't just play like one or two guys. You got to completely, you got to go all in, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Where yeah. in golf, you could golf with the six guys, you can almost go two really popular plays and then just diversify from there. Like I've made lineups all over the board before and you never know what's going to happen. Cause like you said, a lot of it is luck. Golf is such a crazy game. You play, I play it. If people have never played golf, it literally can change from hole to hole. What the hell is going to happen with your swing? It's oh, crazy. for sure. And there's, there's so much var- variance and volatility in golf. It's crazy. You know I mean? If, if Kuchar doesn't make that hole in one, there's a probably a good chance somebody else wins a million dollars this week. Oh yeah. You know, um, and how often do home ones happen? Not very often. They happen a little bit more at Augusta just because of the way they set up the golf course, but they don't happen very often. So it's those kind of things. You got to get that. Um, you know, anytime I've ever been in contention in a GPP on a Sunday, it's because something along the way that you can't predict happened, happened. Um, and most of the time it's, it's some kind of hole out. <laughs> 
I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And uh, so it's when I'm making a GPP team, I'm really just trying to figure out one or two, like you said, low loan plays um, that 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 can make the cut and just maybe potentially score well on the weekend. Yeah, because the bottom line, instead of overthinking it too much, is you just need guys that are going to have a chance to win. That's right. basically what it comes down to the GBP. If it's the top five guys, I know you can't pay for the top five guys, but if it's the top five guys, well, that's the guys you need pieces of. It's that simple. So that, that's like where you said when you start going down to the sevens and sixes. It's one thing like just to make the cut, which is great for your cash games, but to win the money – you got to go balls out. That's why, like, for cash games, there are certain plays. Like, I love Stuart Sink for my cash games. He's not going to light the world on fire, but he's a cut machine. Yeah, like, that's, he just, true. that's a great but, point. Yeah. You know, the, no, but there's, definitely. There's there's guys that I play almost every week yeah. that they're playing because I know that they're consistent cut makers. Like you said, they're not going to gonna go super low and shoot 59, but they'll be there. Like there was a run last year where Colt Nost, he started winning eventually, but there was a stretch there. He'd barely make the cut each week, but he'd, he'd make the cut each week, and right. he was a great cash game player. I remember but, that. Uh, yeah, so it's little things like that to pay attention to as well. But uh, it's definitely – that's why I want to talk about it. It's a much different philosophy than a lot of people. Because a lot of people coming to play PGA DFS have been playing baseball, basketball, football – so right. it's a whole different animal when you're kind of breaking down your lineups and you played it a lot longer than me. This is about, I, I last year was my first full year in it. I dabbled a little bit towards the end of the year before that, but I've actually between your write-ups, I listen to a few podcasts each week and I do my own research. I've slowly got a little game plan. I don't build models. I'm not smart enough on a computer like that, but um, yeah, it's, it's good to see. And that's why I wanted to definitely have you on to talk about this is um, there's a lot of new people in the game. And I did this for a baseball podcast a couple weeks ago, DFS segment. People found it very helpful. So I really wanted to get you on to, to talk about this. Um, uh, speaking of that, I want to go back to that weekend golf. I know we're to keep jumping around. Do you, do you think they're going to, A, are they going to have it this weekend? And B, um, will this be a regular thing or is it just a special occasion thing? Uh, I think that they're. I think it's a permanent. It's going to be a permanent type of deal now. I think obviously the contest sizes will just depend week to week. Um, I expect it to be much smaller this weekend. Um, even though that contest did fill, that I think that hundred thirty thousand entries and it filled. So, um, but I don't see them going back to to that that full bore. And like I said too before, it's going to be more. I think it's going to be more beneficial to look at. Um, in the few, you know, in the coming up weeks, uh, where we have bigger, bigger, more players make the cut, um, and then also two weeks where there's going to be a an MDF, or basically when the guys make the cut, but then get cut again after Saturday's round, um, those are going to be interesting weeks to play in as well, because you're going to have a few guys down down low there who are toward the back of the field who potentially could get cut. So it'll be interesting to watch that type of thing. Maybe that'll happen this weekend. And those would be the guys to play in your GPPs because no one's going to want to touch them because they're thinking, right. oh no, they have a chance to be knocked out. And if right. one of those guys go, if one of those guys goes low on Saturday, you're sitting pretty. Right, uh, right, right, exactly, yeah. So, all right. Did you have anything else on the DFS front you want to talk about? I think we hit pretty much everything. I don't want to no. move on. 
I'm, I'm ready to I'm gonna move on. But you know, any, anytime anybody needs help, they they're more than welcome to hit me up on uh, on Twitter. I'm always happy to to be of any help I can. So any questions, just fire them over. Yeah, he's extremely knowledgeable. So uh, take him up on that offer. All right, Jesse did post a. Uh, an awesome contest last week. We, I, I'll let him talk about the number of entries and everything, but he grabbed some swag from the Masters. You followed the, uh, the sports DJs. You retweeted it. You gave him your score predictions. You had a chance to win. How many entrants did we have, and who's our winner? Uh, we ended up with like 60, about 66 um, entries total. Uh, so overall, a pretty good amount there. Um, and and nobody picked Garcia. What? <laughs> I swear to God, nobody picked him. I went back on here and looked at it this morning because it's on my work computer here. And I, so I went back on. I was like, oh, let me see who picked Garcia. Nobody had Garcia. So what I decided to do was go with the second place finisher, which was Justin Rose. Um, and four people picked Justin Rose. And then, you know, the next tiebreaker was the winning score. And one person, um, picked uh, minus 10 as the winning score and everybody else was further away from minus nine than that. So I've decided that basically um, I'll give it to his name is at Joshua underscore Mayfield. Um, so I'll be hitting him up here in just a few minutes and letting him know that he won and I'll get that out to him. That was pretty fun to do. Um, everybody likes the master stuff. So good time. Yeah, no, that was a great idea. I'm going to definitely use that that idea for some other things, either Pebble or a little baseball game or something. That's a great idea. People loved it. It was really, really cool to see. Uh, yeah, and we had some – and, you know, thanks – I know they probably aren't listening to this, but thanks to the people in the DFS community because they started reaching out, helping retweet it, and they helped build it up pretty nice. It was a cool little deal, really yeah, cool man. deal. I mean, free stuff. Pretty cool. Free stuff. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, so have you already put in your um, your application for tickets next year? <laughs> to be honest with you, dude, I mean it's fun, but like if I get offered a ticket, I'll I'll go back. But it, I think it totally ruined my uh, my DFS uh, my gambling um, this week. So I'm probably gonna take next week off, next year off. Because <laughs> the year before I won a bunch of money, I went down there this year. You know, I'm I'm one of those kind of people who just likes I enjoy watching golf. Um, from home on TV. Um, I enjoy watching any sporting event, maybe besides basketball and baseball is fun to watch um, at home uh, on TV versus being live. Cause like, you know, if I go watch a, a basketball game or a baseball game, I want the very best seats possible. Yeah. I'm not going and sitting at the top. Like I'll just sit at home and watch it. So if I'm not sitting half quarter, I'm not sitting um, in good baseball seats. Well, baseball is a little bit different, but um so, you know, I, I'm just one of those kind of people. But if I get offered again, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll never say no to the Masters. Let's get let's get real. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm pretty sure if someone comes <laughs> knocking on your door, you'll take that eight-hour drive all over again. Because <laughs> if not, call me. I'll take the flight across the country. <laughs> um, but uh, awesome, man. That pretty much hits everything. Uh, again, thanks for joining us, Jesse. You can find him on Twitter, at DFSGolfGods. Um, as normal, he'll have his uh, picks out this week, so keep your eyes out for that. And um, awesome stuff. I appreciate it, and uh, thanks for joining me, Jesse. Thanks. Thanks for having me again. No problem. Everybody, that was uh, Bench with Bubba, episode 34, the Masters 
review and DFS golf talk, a little in-depth talk there. Um, don't forget to check us out, thesportsdgens.com, and uh, look forward to the DFS article from Jesse this week. Again, thanks for listening, and we will catch you guys next time.